It's finally game week. Ohio State plays Minnesota on Thursday night. Griffin, Strom, and I will be there, and we're here today to talk about it on Real Pod Wednesdays. Griffin, it's an exciting time, isn't it, to finally know that we're going to watch an actual Ohio State football game this week for the first time in almost eight months. Yeah, you know, we've been talking recently about how this game is kind of, you know, sneaking up on us uh, in a sense. You know, it, it, it does, it's not even that long, honestly, since Ohio State last played, given that, that they got to that, you know, final Monday, that last game, the national championship game. Um, and yeah, this being a Thursday game as well, it's kind of a, a couple of days earlier than usual as well. Um, yeah, I mean, f- for me personally, I'm just excited to, to be at a football game where there's actually going to be a packed crowd. And the fact that, you know, Ohio State is starting with um, a legitimate game, a real test in their first game. Obviously, last year they, they started with Nebraska as well, another uh, in-conference foe. Um, but this season on the road, brand-new quarterback, uh, there's there's a ton to get into today, and we'll get into all of it uh, with this Minnesota preview here. Yeah, that's what makes it weird is the fact that this, this podcast that's being published on Wednesday and the game is tomorrow. Typically, we would do this podcast a few days before a game. Uh, the game is coming right up on us, and so... Uh, it does sneak up on us a little bit that way, but you know, I think for all of our listeners out there, uh, it's been a long wait to get here to September. Uh, seven and a half months of talking about what could happen this season. Now we're going to finally get to see uh, what actually will happen. And like you said, the fact that it's a Big Ten game to start the season makes it more exciting because I feel like we're actually going to learn about this team on Thursday night. This isn't like going and playing Akron in the first game, and then if they win big, well, you know, you got to kind of wait and see them play a real opponent. I think this is a a real opponent, a good enough opponent, to where even though this is a game Ohio State should win, I think we are going to learn a lot about this team based on how they perform on Thursday night. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you know, a lot of times it, it takes that, that step up in competition, like you said, um, for us to really find out, you know, what a team's made of and whatnot. But given the specific questions that Ohio State has, given the, the quarterback question, given the defensive question, um, you know, those are going to be put to test right away um, in a way that they probably wouldn't, you know, if Ohio State was starting with, let's say, Akron week one, um, like they do, you know, many a year. But yeah, and what, what else are you, or what are you most interested in seeing uh, with this matchup uh, on Thursday? Well, certainly you got to start with C.J. Stroud, right? It's going to be our first time ever seeing him throw a pass in a game setting. And so uh, to see how he does and to see how his offense looks around him, I mean, I think that's probably the thing that's just most intriguing to me is there's so much hype about this receiving core that Ohio State has. There's so much talent on this offense. To get to see what it looks like in an actual game setting is going to be really intriguing because we know about Chris Olave. We know about Garrett Wilson. We know those guys are great. But when we add in Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka, and we know about Jeremy Ruckert, but then you know, maybe Mayan Williams plays a bigger role at running back. Maybe Travion Henderson plays a bigger role at running back. To, to put all of those pieces in there along with Stroud, there's so much potential for this offense, but yet... You know, other than, you know, Olave, Wilson, Ruckert, some of the offensive linemen, there's still a lot of guys on this offense that aren't necessarily proven commodities. So it's intriguing to see, okay, what are these guys actually going to look like now that they're playing big roles for the first time in their Ohio State careers? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, seeing if, if C.J. Stroud can, you know, continue this uh, standard of play at quarterback at Ohio State. Obviously, the last several years, um, you know, even back in 2017, you know, you know, J.T. Barrett putting up the numbers he did that year with obviously it being 
Ryan Day's first year uh, in the system, implementing his uh, passing game and whatnot. And now, you know, coming off the heels of Justin Fields, you know, uh, standards are extremely high at the quarterback position. And uh, that's obviously what makes the C.J. Stroud storyline so interesting. And the fact that, like we said, of course, it's on the road, it's against a Big Ten team. Um, It's not going to be, you know, the easiest test in the world. But like Ryan Day has said multiple times, um, they're not looking for C.J. Stroud to come in and do anything, you know, absolutely earth shattering in week one. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, mentality or how that uh, that approach will kind of um, uh, might change maybe what Ohio State runs. You know, the offense they run last year, they knew exactly what they had in Justin Fields coming in. Week one, you already knew his skill set, what he was capable of doing, so you could open things up. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the offense in terms of play selection uh, in this first game, especially when you, you they, they have questions at running back. You know, it's not like they're they're coming in with with a pre-established you know bell cow guy that they can rely on. You know, given that they have a new quarterback, uh, you know, th- there's questions there also. So, um, you know, kind of the split and the balance and the identity of the offense. That's something that Ryan Day has talked about. Not knowing himself, uh, not being there's a lot of talk with Ryan Day about not getting a, a, a good amount of sleep in, in the the lead up to a you know the season, obviously with the pressures and everything. And um, so I think it'll be interesting, game one, uh, how the identity of the offense starts to uh, unfold. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how aggressive the offensive play calling is in this first game. Because, you know, Ryan Day does has said that we don't need C.J. Stroud to do anything extraordinary. And I think that's a smart thing to say. But I think back to Justin Fields' first game at Ohio State. I think back to Dwayne Haskins' first game at Ohio State. Both of them were spectacular in their first games as Ohio State quarterbacks. So I don't necessarily expect to see the training wheels on for C.J. Stroud here. I I think they're going to open up the playbook. I think they're going to call the kind of plays that they would for a more experienced quarterback. I I don't expect to see a super conservative game plan. Now, does that mean they're going to be throwing tons of deep shots over the middle of a field? I don't know about that. But my feeling is I think we're going to see them – pretty much run their offense. I don't, I don't think they're going to try to keep things too vanilla for, for C.J. Stroud. I think they're going to try to just run things the way they would run them. And so, you know, my expectations for C.J. Stroud's first game are pretty high. I know we were asked by Mongo's Magic, is it reasonable to expect C.J. Stroud to throw for 350 yards in his first career start, or are my expectations too conservative for him? 350 yards is a lot, but... I do think this offense is going to be able to put up yards and points on Minnesota's defense because I think defense is going to be the weaker part of a team for Minnesota. And so if C.J. Stroud goes out and has a huge first game, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, at the same time, if C.J. Stroud doesn't have a great first game, if he's just okay, is a guy who's never thrown a collegiate pass before, would that surprise me either? I mean, it certainly wouldn't shock me. I think... For a guy who's just starting out his college career, you you do have to expect some growing pains. But with all the talent that he has around him and the way that everybody's been talking CJ up, I think it is reasonable to expect to see some really good things from Ohio State's quarterback on Thursday night. Going back to that question, the 350 yards, I'm definitely going to say sub 300, 350. Because, I would too. I mean, even with Justin Fields, you right. know, Ohio State was was not even averaging 300 yards a game passing, even with Fields. So, you know, by that metric alone, I think, you know, Stroud in his very first game, I would it would be... I would be very surprised if, if if Stroud managed to throw for 350 yards, and that would be a big story if he was yes, able to against the Big Ten team. 
Um, but I'll just add in there, Dan, um, just to say, you know, you, you do have to factor in as well uh, that Minnesota's uh, run rush defense last year was pretty much atrocious. It was like 13th out of 14 teams in the Big Ten. And, you know, they, they've gotten a couple, you know, upgrades to that position, bringing in uh, a Clemson uh, transfer, um, I think an NC State transfer as well, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a defensive tackle. Um, of that Minnesota uh, defensive line. But still, it's other than that, it's still a lot of the same guys that are going to be rotating in there. Is Ohio State going to try to exploit that based on what they saw last year or not? Um, you know, that remains to be seen. But yeah, in terms of yardage for Stroud, I'm going to go m- maybe even under 300. You know, Ohio State could still put up big numbers offensively and C.J. Stroud could throw for 260 yards. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably more of a realistic expectation for uh, Thursday. Yeah, people throw out these numbers. Like, I don't even really think about that. Like, how many yards did Justin Fields throw in a game? That's not really something I really think about. It's more just a matter of, you know, how well does the offense move with this guy at quarterback? And I do think Ohio State is going to try to establish the run in this game. I think that is going to be uh, something that Ohio State is certainly going to try to do as much as it can in this game and try to get those running backs going. And I think that's another thing that's very high on my list of things that I'm intrigued to see in this game is, For one, how are they going to split carries among those running backs? Starting with who's going to be the first guy on the field? Are they going to stick with the veteran and Master Teague? Is Mayan Williams a guy who seemed to have momentum all offseason? Is he going to be the guy to take that first carry? I suspect we're going to see a healthy dose of both of them on Thursday night. And I also think we're going to see some Travion Henderson. How much? I'm not sure. But I'm very interested to see how do they utilize Travion Henderson. Because I think even if it's not a ton just the way they use him and then of course how he performs in those carries could give us a hint as to how big his role could become over the course of a season yeah my question is because obviously we've seen in in recent Ohio State history you know a two running back system that's you know that uh, tons of teams do that at at every level of football you know that is not a surprising thing to see the question becomes um, with Ohio State having you know four guys uh, realistically they're probably gonna you know be, be fighting for those real reps um, are we actually going to see a three running back system? Like, I, th- I think that would be a, you know, a change for Ohio State. If you're three series in and you've given three different guys a series of running back, are we really going to see that? I really don't know. I tend to think that we'll see mostly probably two guys and then another guy gets some. And then, you know, things are going to change as the, as, the, as the season progresses. So with, with Henderson in particular, maybe the fact that it's, you know, week one of his, you know, very first season, maybe they're not going to uh, put the ball in his hands all that much week one. But maybe... You know, after a few games in, you know, once he starts playing, once he gets more confidence, maybe against an Akron or something, has you know, gets those games under his belt. Maybe we see him, you know, take a big step forward in terms of uh, actual touches in the offense. Yeah, I think Mayan and Master are going to get most of the carries in this game. Ryan Day did say on Monday that they're probably going to lean on those experienced guys early, but I think. That's the reason why I do believe we actually are going to see a free running back rotation, especially early in the season, because I think Travion Henderson is too talented not to be a part of that. And based on everything we've heard, it sounds like he's done really well in his first offseason as a Buckeye. And so you're right. We really haven't seen a a true free running back rotation much at Ohio State, but I think we might see it this year because of the fact that I don't see them taking Master Teague out of the equation completely. I think Mayan Williams has built up too much momentum to not be a significant part of that rotation, and I think Travion Henderson is too talented not to be in there. So I I think they're going to get all three of those guys involved. Like you said, I think it's probably going to be more Master and Mayan, Mayan and Master, however you want to say it, for the first few games. And then I think over the course of a season, I think Travion's role certainly could increase, and conversely... 
one of those veterans could potentially end up seeing his role significantly decrease if they get to a point of where they want to get back to really going with two guys instead of three guys. So are you saying that you think, uh, like, what do you see happening to Marcus Crowley then in this situation in your mind? I see Marcus Crowley as the number four running back. That's nothing against Marcus Crowley. I just think that those three guys are going to be ahead of him on the depth chart, and I don't really see Marcus Crowley having a significant role in the rotation unless there's injuries in front of him. Yeah, and that's a tough break. You know, if that does come to fruition, that's a tough break for a guy that, you know, really did show flashes in his true freshman season in 2019. Obviously suffered a very unfortunate ACL tear that season as well. Um, and, you know, he did. He was uh, basically the second running back in the national championship game, you know, albeit with an injury to Trey Sermon and um, obviously Mayan Williams having to miss the game uh, due to COVID um, as well. But, you know, that would be a tough break for a guy that, you know, did get out to a, a pretty good start to his Ohio State career. You know, I tend, I tend to think he'll, you know, he'll see some carries, but, you know, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough with, with having four guys there. Um, you know, one question we had here just as we're on the topic of running backs who will lead the Buckeyes in rushing yards slash touchdowns? Is it, you think that's a question for this game in particular or the entire season? I'm not sure how they meant it, but since we're talking about this first game, let's focus on the first game right now. I'm going to go with Mayan Williams to, to lead Ohio State in rushing yards on Thursday night. How about you? Just to, you know, just to be different here, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Teague, the the tried and true, the the veteran, uh, just because he's the the most uh, proven commodity uh, as of now. And that's a, that's the tough thing with uh, you know trying to project out the the running back rotation and things because I have my reservations about all three guys. Teague, you know, it kind of feels like we've seen his ceiling, and the fact that Ohio State didn't name him a captain obviously kind of shows me that they're not they don't really want him to to be that you know, solidified. Sorry. I don't know what I read too much into the captain thing though, because I mean, that's voted on by players, not by coaches. Right, right, right. So I, I think putting too much stock into him not being a captain, I, I probably wouldn't do that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But then, you know, also the fact that Mayan Williams, um, I know you're really high on him. We just haven't seen a whole lot of, out of him. Obviously the coaches trusted him enough to play him against Clemson and he, and he made some, some moments, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of those questions are going to be answered once we start seeing, you know, how this rotation actually breaks down once the season actually kicks off. I mean, I could be wrong, but my feeling is if Mayan Williams had been healthy for that Alabama game, I think we would have seen him play the most after Trey Sermon went down. I, I think that's the kind of momentum that he had built for himself. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. You know, maybe we'll see Master T get 25 carries on Thursday night, and I'll be wrong. But I've been riding the train here for a while that I think Mayan Williams is going to be the lead back here to start the season. So I got to stick with it. Yeah, Dan. And, and uh, another question here. Um, who and how for the first touchdown of the game? I got to go C.J. Stroud to Chris Olave. How about you? I'm going to go Master Teague. Master Teague up the middle on a, you know, a red zone uh, possession. Um, I think that just feels like a safe answer for me right now, so that's what I'm going to stick the with. Master Teague fans out there will be pleased with Griffin. <laughs> we were also asked, will, will more than one quarterback see significant playing time and Ryan Day was asked about that on Monday, and he said that that's not the plan, that it it's going to be CJ's show. So I think he's been firm about that. I think that's exactly what you should want to hear as an Ohio State fan because we all remember what happened in 2015 with the roller coaster between JT Barrett and Cardale Jones, and two quarterback systems just don't work. So it's clear right now. Ryan Day is making this C.J. Stroud show. If Ohio State happens to blow out Minnesota, there's a chance we'll see another quarterback at the end of a game. But unless C.J. gets hurt, unless there's some reason they need to put another quarterback in the game, 
it's going to be C.J. Stroud's show on Thursday night, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I actually think that even if they're up pretty big on Minnesota, that I think he'll, he'll probably want to just leave Stroud in to, 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 to have him log more experience because he's a guy that hasn't passed the ball before. Um, you know, I'm not talking about if they're up 100 to nothing. You know, they're not going to put another guy in there. Um, but I think that, you know, there's not really a reason when you have a guy that inexperienced to not want to get him just a little more comfortable running an offense in such a big game, you know, um, against a Big, a big Ten opponent. Um, straight off the bat. Yeah, I don't particularly expect that this is going to be a game where Ohio State's going to build such a big lead that it takes the starters out. And the reason why is because of the defense. And we were asked about by Ohio against the world about biggest concern going into the matchup, but then he kind of answered it himself. And he said, for me, it has to be on the defensive side of the ball. If Minnesota can get Muhammad Ibrahim going on the ground, so front seven play on defense, can they shut down? the Golden Gopher run game. And I totally agree. I, I think that is the biggest concern going into this game is you look at this Minnesota team, Mohamed Ibrahim ranked second in the country last year in rushing yards per game. Their offensive line is literally the most experienced offensive line in the country. I think they have something like 180 combined starts among offensive linemen on their roster. Uh, they're also massive. Every guy on that line is well over 300 pounds. So this is a team that's going to try to establish the run they're going to try to run the ball and I think that is going to be the biggest test for Ohio State in this game especially if it was linebackers because they've got quite a bit of experience on the defensive line you know they are breaking in a new nose tackle so a game like this a guy like Tommy Togiai could certainly be missed but they have a lot of experience on that defensive line that defensive line has gone against Ohio State's similarly massive offensive line in practice every day I feel like the defensive line is going to be okay, but I think this is going to be a huge test for those linebackers. When running backs, Ibrahim or any other running back equipment game, when they're able to break past that defensive line and get to the second level, are those linebackers going to be able to make the play? Because we just haven't really seen any of these guys play. You know, I think Taraja Mitchell's a guy that people have a lot of confidence in, but he's still very unproven. And the same goes for whoever else is out there at linebacker and we really don't know who that's going to be. Cody Simon, Dallas Gant, Tommy Eichenberg, maybe even some Steel Chambers, Kayvon Pope. We really don't know who it's going to be. We know it's probably not going to be Pauline Nateote because Ryan Day said on Monday that he still hasn't gotten an answer about his eligibility, which means everybody out there is going to be guys who have never started a college game before, who really don't have a ton of playing experience. And so I think this is going to be a huge test for that linebacker group right off the bat to see, okay, are these guys ready to fill the shoes that were left behind by Pete Warner and Tuff Borland and Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard? Or is this a group that is going to be a problem for Ohio State? Yeah, and for all the reasons you just stated, I think um, a couple of things could, could result from the fact that Minnesota is obviously going to come in with a run-heavy approach, or so you would think on paper anyway. Um, I think, A, you know, we might see early on, we might be like, Hey, where where is the bullet? We might see three three traditional linebackers out there because they've got bodies, um, you know, at linebacker. So we might be saying that early on if we don't see uh, one of those bullet guys out there, just uh, specifically based on the looks they might get um, in you know the, the run heavy approach. And then secondly, in terms of the actual bullet position, maybe we do, maybe we see more Craig Young than Ronnie Hickman in this game particular in particular because uh, Craig Young is obviously a guy that's actually played traditional linebacker in the Ohio State system. Um, you know, he was he was uh, working with Al Washington, obviously, 
until this season, until he switched to safety. Um, so maybe we see him more than a Ronnie Hickman in this game in particular for that factor alone. Um, so yeah, I think th- those two things are definitely possibilities for Ohio State. Um, you know, just today, Kerry Combs on the radio was saying, you know, they're comfortable playing two li- two linebackers, three linebackers, four linebackers. You know, who knows how many linebackers we'll see out there, but um, uh, we will get the answer to that uh, pretty soon here. And I believe him on that. I think we are going to see two linebackers out there at times. I think we're going to see three linebackers out there at times. I think we're going to see four linebackers out there at times. I just don't know, other than Taraja Mitchell, who those other linebackers are going to be. Yeah, me neither. And, and you know, you know, Dallas Gann and Cody Simon have had some injury issues, but it seems like those have kind of been cleared up now um, uh, because, you know, Ryan Day, was, he, he named those guys and said he felt comfortable with those guys playing. And uh, he named Tommy Eichenberg first, which was interesting to me because I feel like we haven't really talked about him a lot, but yet I feel like there's quietly been a vibe all off season long that he's a guy that might play more than people realize. Yeah, yeah, that, that was interesting. The last couple times, you know, they've asked about linebackers. You know, Tommy Eichenberg has been a guy that's, you know, been in those conversations. And, um, you know, I think, you know, some people might be rolling their eyes about that a little bit just because there's already so many names. And if they're only going to play two guys, you know, you just have a hard time, you know, envisioning a, a guy like Tommy Eichenberg getting out there. But, you know, he could be a, a, cons- a consistent performer. You know, I kind of have my doubts about that personally. But, you know, we will see. I think the thing that's worrisome about that entire back seven is just the fact that we're not hearing them really... We're hearing Taraja Mitchell at linebacker, which is why I think we're confident in him. But we're not really hearing them go out of their way to like really talk up a ton of specific guys. It's more just about we have a lot of guys we feel confident in, which is great. It's great to have depth, but now that the season's starting, you need to have guys that you are really confident in to go out there and make plays. And they might have those guys. They might just not want us to know who those guys are because... If we can't figure it out, that means it's harder for Minnesota to prepare for what the defense is going to look like. So they might have guys they're really confident in, and they're just trying to keep that quiet until the game actually happens. But I think that's why you know there's a lot of anxiety about the defense going into this game is because we just don't know exactly who those guys are going to be out there. Now, if a secondary, to me, I've said all offseason that I think you know that is probably still the biggest question I have for this team. It is a question I have going into this game, and Minnesota can test them for sure. Tanner Morgan's an experienced quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Chris Ottman-Bell, we're not quite sure whether or not he's going to play in this game, and I think think that's significant because I think he's easily Minnesota's best receiver. I think if they have him, he's a guy that absolutely can make big plays against Ohio State secondary. If not, I'm not necessarily sure... Who else can? I'm not saying they don't have them. I'm just saying they're not proven guys. And so my feeling is that this game is going to be a bigger test for the front than it is going to be for the back. But at the same time, this is still going to be our first look at this secondary that everyone's saying is supposed to be better this year. And we know it needs to be better if this team is going to achieve its goals. Yeah, and Minnesota, you know, a big step back for them last season uh, in comparison to their, you know, excellent 2019 season uh, was in that, that passing attack, which I think it it uh, it was like less than average, less than 200 yards or something like that last season, maybe, maybe a little over that. But yeah, and then just Tanner Morgan statistically, like uh, individually, just a much worse season last year than he had in 2019. So yeah, like kind of like you're saying, I think this could be kind of like the start of last season for Ohio State, um, starting with Nebraska, a team that just did a team that couldn't move the, the ball downfield with the pass. And so you, you got you didn't uh, 
you know, have any concerns about this Ohio State secondary because it didn't really get tested. You know, you saw Sean Wade make a couple of good plays um, and everything, you know, looked great for Ohio State back there. I do uh, remember Nebraska going down the field of those first couple drives and going, uh-oh, this defense might not be very good. And as it turned out, it really wasn't that good. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, but th- those were on some some big runs, if I remember correctly, the first couple of plays, I think, uh, you know, a big quarterback run and then um, I think it might have been multiple quarterback runs. It was a. I remember there were some Adrian Martinez runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, as we saw this past weekend, uh, he tends to be more consistent as a runner than he is as a passer. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, uh, Ryan Day did say today on the radio, he said uh, that he expects Minnesota to do some unexpected things. He expects there to be a, a trick or two up their sleeves. You know, we saw last year with Rutgers, you know, pulling out all the stops against Ohio State. I think that, you know, that's a, that's a wise thing to do when you're playing Ohio State. You're, you're kind of playing with house money. No one expects you to win. You're expected to lose by, you know, multiple touchdowns in your own backyard. So, um, you know, given that alone, um, I think we could see some some unexpected things out of this uh, uh, Minnesota offense and, you know, not just go with a completely run-heavy run approach, especially with uh, the reputation Ohio State's secondary has coming off of last season. Yeah, I think P.J. Flex is a good coach. I think he's going to have his team ready to play and. The game I keep thinking back to as we go go into this game is I think back to the last time Ohio State opened its season on Thursday night against Indiana, another Big Ten opponent in, in 2017. And I remember that game. I believe Indiana might have had the lead at halftime, and then Ohio State ultimately ended up winning the game 49-21, I, I believe. And I, in my head, when I envision this game, I keep envisioning something similar to that. Like I think this game is going to be close in the first half. I think Minnesota's going to make some plays. I think there's going to be some nervous moments for Ohio State. Ultimately, I think Ohio State's going to take control of this game, and I think they're going to win this game by multiple scores. But, you know, my feeling is, I mean, I mean, Ohio State's a more talented team, so if Ohio State were to come out and, you know, blow the doors off them, it wouldn't be shocking. But my feeling is there probably is going to be some nervous moments in this first game before Ohio State ultimately wins. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's what makes it an exciting matchup. I think that's why, even though the the betting lines obviously is Ohio State is a two touchdown favorite, I think people like expect this to be kind of like a, an exciting. You know, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Even though I still think a lot of people are expecting Ohio State to put up even more uh, of a spread on uh, on Minnesota than than just fourteen. I tend to agree with that as well. I think they might win by twenty one or something like that. Um, but I completely agree. Like just like it, just like it was against Nebraska at the beginning of uh, last season. You know. Um, Nebraska struck first and, uh, you know, Ohio State fans were, were a little bit nervous at the beginning of that game. I think we could see something similar, you know, if, if the Ohio State offense does you no know, look, you know, earth shattering early on or the defense, you know, gives some stuff up. Um, I'm, I'm definitely of a similar mind uh, with what you're kind of saying there. And it's like we talked about last week. It doesn't matter if Ohio State wins big. We know that next week we're going to get a lot of questions about whatever didn't go well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just a that's a tradition for, you know, Ohio State. They're used to the you're, they're used to Ohio State going 12 and 0. Um, you know, I was just talking yesterday about uh, to a guy um, who was asking me, you know, so how does he have a chance to lose a game this year? And and just the just the expectation for excellence necessitates that you know fans are, are going to be you know a little nitpicky when it comes to some of these things. I mean, the answer to that is of course, of course, they have a chance to lose a game. I mean, to win twelve games in a row, Ryan Day's made it look easy so far regular season, but it's not. It's not. It's not easy to 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 go undefeated in regular season. So uh, there are certainly games that. Ohio State could lose. And I remember Colin and I having this conversation at some point in the offseason after a schedule was released about, you know, the most losable games on the schedule. And I think this game is up there just because of the fact that it is a Thursday night, you know, Big Ten West opponent on the road. You know, that's kind of a cocktail for weird things potentially happening, coupled with the fact that 
You know, we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Minnesota. C.J. Stroud's playing his first game at Ohio State. There's still a lot of questions about the defense. Again, I'm not predicting an, an Ohio State loss. I'm predicting Ohio State to win for sure. But I do think the components are there to where this is a game that's not a you know stone-cold lock for Ohio State like some games will be. Yeah, and uh, another question we had here, uh, I don't know if we wanted to jump to this now or hold off, but you know, offensive and defensive MVPs uh, for the game or a bold prediction as well? In terms of offensive and defensive MVPs for the game, for offensive MVP, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud because, as I mentioned before, Dwayne Haskins had a spectacular debut for Ohio State. Justin Fields had a spectacular debut for Ohio State. I'm going to go ahead and say that C.J. Stroud does too. Again, I'm not necessarily saying 350 yards, but I'm going to go ahead and say that C.J. Stroud shows us on Thursday night why he is the starting quarterback of his football team, and I think he's going to have a great first game. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think even, you know, a, a pretty, you know, clinical performance uh, from C.J. Stroud could still, you know, earn him that honor just to, just to see him, you know, throw a couple of touchdowns in, in you know, 250 yards. Um, it's still going to be a big deal if he's able to do that and not turn the ball over and things of that nature. Um, he's going to come out looking very good. Um, I also think it's, you know, it's hard to to rule out the possibility that, that a Chris Olave or a Garrett Wilson, you know, doesn't have a huge game, you know, in, in this matchup. As Most well. likely if C.J. Stroud is a huge game, at least one of those receivers is going to as well. Absolutely. And what about on the on the defensive side of the ball? I got to go Zach Harrison. We've heard all this hype about Zach Harrison going into the year. Now is the time for him to show it. I'm going to say we see a couple tackles for loss for, from Zach Harrison on Thursday night, and, and he really begins to show why he's been talked up so much this offseason. Yeah, and I'm curious to see uh, uh, Haskell Garrett as well. You know, that's a guy, possibly the most proven commodity, you know, on the entire defense um, in terms of being a guy that was an All-American last season um, at the defensive tackle spot. And I think, you know, given that Muhammad Ibrahim in, in the uh, Minnesota run game is such a huge, you know, factor in this game, um, I think it, it puts a lot of emphasis on what a guy like Haskell Garrett uh, can come in and do um, on the defensive line. We were asked, too, by Herbs Renewal, which player will surprise us with how often they play? I feel like we, we kind of just hinted at one that I think could be potentially be the answer to that question, and Tommy Eichenberg. Anyone else really jump to mind for you? Surprise? The thing, the thing is, honestly, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised by a lot of things because of how fluid they've seemed to keep things uh, this offseason and just throwing a lot of names at us, you know? So that's why I think defensively, I think it's it's kind of equal parts uh, exciting and concerning uh, for Ohio State fans because I think a lot of guys you know potentially have a chance to come in and and uh, become new stars on that defense. Like like what is Craig is Craig Young going to become you know a star or are we not going to even see him all that much? You know, um, it's one of those things. Like a Court Williams, for example. Like I I really have no idea is he going to play a lot or is he barely going to play at all? Because um, you know if they've got those three guys, if he's the third guy you know, on a projected depth chart at, at Bullet, you know, are we not going to see him at all despite, you know, hearing a lot about how diligent of a worker and, you know, how, you know, great he's been this this offseason. So we've got a lot of, okay, here's here's one. It would, it would uh, a, a surprise for a lot of people, I think, would be if Steel Chambers got a lot of uh, snaps at linebacker. They keep throwing his name in there. But for me, I just keep wondering, like, how could he possibly have, like, made a transition? Obviously, he played the position in high school and everything, but how could he have possibly made a transition that fast to really jump in there and get a ton of snaps at linebacker, having just played running back. So that, w- that would be surprising for me. I don't know if I'm predicting that it's going to happen and surprise other people, 
But that would, that would surprise me. Well, I think related to that, too, Ryan Day said on his radio show on Tuesday that we're going to see DeMario McCall play at cornerback on Thursday. And I think that's another one that, if it happens, will surprise a lot of people. But they've talked about DeMario as a guy that they think can really contribute in the secondary this year. And I still am not sure if I believe that. I think I need to see it to believe it. But the way they've talked about him makes me think, like, he's not just a guy that's at the back of a depth chart that's only ever going to play if it's a blowout in the fourth quarter. The way they've talked about him, they, they've talked about him like somebody who they think can contribute this year, and it'll be interesting to see if that actually comes to fruition. Yeah, that, that was a great call on that one. I, that one did slip my mind. That would uh, really surprise me, but I think it would also you know, put a lot of, put, put a smile on a lot of Ohio State's uh, fans' uh, faces, if he actually plays well, that is, um, to see DeMario Call actually get you know a lot more of a a chance this season to get on the field and make plays given all that he's been through and the fact that he just hasn't really been much of a factor at all on Ohio State, you know, since that, you know, true freshman season he had. I know that 11 Warriors alumnus DJ Burns is going to be hyped if DeMario McCall becomes a productive cornerback in Ohio State secondary. Yeah, and it would just, it, it would surprise me if he got a ton of time, but but we shall see. Bartholomew asked us, I'm seeing a high of 74 degrees and scattered showers as the forecast for Minneapolis this Thursday. How will that affect the Minnesota coaching staff's Dilly Bar consumption? Well, I, I just hope that we do get to see Dilly Bar Dan or whoever has taken his place on the staff eating some ice cream on the sidelines on Thursday. And I hope for some ice cream in, in the press box for us, too. That would be that would be nice if we get that uh, on Thursday night. But I guess, you know, the, the a more serious question off of that would be there has been some forecasts that are showing there could rain on, on Thursday night. How much of an effect do you think that could have on the game if it does rain? Uh, I don't know how much of, effect, how much of an effect it's really going to have. I mean, uh, you know, the, the guys at Ohio State have been talking about, you know, some of these preseason uh, practices they've had, like, in just pouring down rain. You know, for us as media members, you know, I just got a, a brand new 11 Warriors uh, rain jacket myself. So, you know, I should be all set to go. But, you know, w- with, the, with the rain... You know, I never really know. You know, these guys are so high level. I can't come in here and, and say that, that a little bit of rain is going to, you know, make a huge difference one way or another. But, you know, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see, a, you know, a, a first game. You know, guys aren't midseason form. We see some some turnovers and things of that nature. You know, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Um, but, you know, how much of an impact the rain might have, I really don't know. Yeah, I tend to agree with that because you could say, you know, rain's probably not the ideal situation for Ohio State because we're talking about an Ohio State's offense that's supposed to be very explosive through the air, and we're talking about a Minnesota offense that's supposed to be at its best on the ground. So, you know, if rain influences things more toward the ground at all, that's probably not what Ohio State wants. But I also don't see it changing the game entirely. Unless we're, we're not we're not talking about a monsoon here, most likely. If we're just talking about light rain, I, I think C.J. Stroud and the Buckeyes are going to be prepared for that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, any other questions we got here in terms of Minnesota preview? I think we've covered most of them, but... Well, let's let's make our predictions. Ohio State is a 14-point favorite for this game. Griffin, do you think the Buckeyes cover? Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, and this is a score we've seen before. This might have even have been the, the final score of, you know, the, the first game last year or a couple of years. But for some reason, the score with these Ohio State games, 42-21 just always seems to like be a pretty good prediction, at least in my mind. Um, so I'm thinking something like that. I'm thinking that's kind of where it, uh, 
it comes down to. I would not be surprised if Minnesota, you know, gets into the end zone a few times because that Ohio State defense, of course, has all these questions. But yeah, I just think the Ohio State offense is just going to, you know, put up numbers one way or another and, uh, you know, kind of coast here, even if they do have some, you know, tricky moments early on in the first half, perhaps. Yeah, I'm going to go 49-24, pretty similar to you. I think Ohio State's offense is going to be a very tough matchup for Minnesota's defense, in my opinion. I do think there's going to be some rough moments for Ohio State's defense. But ultimately, like I said before, I think it's going to be one of those games where the final score looks a little more lopsided than the game actually is. My feeling is I do think Minnesota is going to keep this thing close for a quarter or a half and, and, and give Ohio State some tense moments. But I think ultimately Ohio State's offense is going to be too much for Minnesota's defense and I think Ohio State's defense is going to do enough to allow the Buckeyes to ultimately pull away in this game. Over under 63 and a half, so you're right under it at 42-21. I'm over it at 49-24. I like the over because I think I do think Ohio State's going to be able to put up a lot of points in this game, and I don't think Ohio State's defense is going to totally shut Minnesota down. So I'm taking the over. Yeah, you not, sound like you probably just wouldn't bet it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, nothing would really surprise me in this game just because there are so many variables kind of at play. There are less known commodities here um, for Ohio State than last year. And so that's why, you know, a lot of things would, would not surprise me. And I think we have to get a lot of answers from watching this game. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, I think the most predictable thing for me, I think is going to be like probably a three touchdown uh, victory for Ohio State here. Are there any other bold predictions you have that you want to make either about this game or just about the season as a whole ahead? Bold predictions um, about the season. You know, I actually, I think what could happen this season in terms of, there's been a lot of talk about Chris Olave breaking uh, a lot of, you know, how to say receiving records and things of that nature. Um, I think we could see kind of like, you know, when Ohio State transitioned from the 2018 season to 2019 season, um, KJ Hill caught a ton of he, he caught a ton of passes and in, uh, in, in 2018 I think he caught 70 passes that year. Yep. The following year he still led Ohio State in receptions, but he got you know he didn't have quite as many of those. I think he only ended up breaking the receiving uh, record in like the Big Ten championship game or something like that. So it took longer than some people might have thought. Um, and I think that could be the case we see with Chris Olave this season. You know he he might not have the same exact connection that he had with uh, Justin Fields that he has with with CJ Stroud. We might not see you know, as huge numbers, I don't think we're going to see an exact doubling of his statistics from last season, for example. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those receivers, just because of all the talent Ohio State has, if it, it, it might not even be a lobby, it might be Wilson or, or one of those guys just doesn't have quite the same type of monster season that everyone's expecting, statistically anyway. Yeah, I think I think it's possible that Jackson Smith and Jigba could lead the team in receptions. I don't know that I really want to go up there and say I'm predicting that because I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are really, really good. But I think because he's playing that slot receiver role, if Jackson Smith and Jigba was to lead this team in receptions, that wouldn't shock me. And so I, I agree with a general premise that you know Chris Olave was on pace to break basically all of Ohio State's receiving records last year. I don't think it's going to happen this year just because there's so much talent in that room that I don't know that he's necessarily going to get enough targets to do that. But I do think he's going to have a great year. I think Garrett Wilson's going to have a great year. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba's going to have a great year. And I think those backups are going to make plays too. I don't know how many, but I think I think we are going to see things this year from all three of Julian Fleming, Emeka Buka, and Marvin Harrison Jr. I agree. I agree for sure. We had one other question that was not 
related to Minnesota for this week from Floyd Stahl. And he pointed out that Albert Breer, who writes the MMQV column for SI.com, recently started a video series called Hurry Up, which is also the name of our recruiting column. And he said, given that Breer is an Ohio State grad and frequently talks about the Buckeyes in this column, this seems to be too uncanny to be a coincidence. Albert seems like a great guy, but someone needs to call him out for ripping off his fine website. Which 11 Warriors staffer gets tasked with his responsibility? Well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to call him out or anything. I just will say that I, I know Albert uh, is a reader of the site. I know he is a fan of the site. Uh, I think Albert does great work. So I have no idea if the hurry up was inspired by what we do here at 11 Warriors or if it was just a happy coincidence. But uh, I do know that Albert is a big Ohio State fan, a big fan of the site. We do appreciate uh, him reading the site. And if we inspired him in any way, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, it's not, it's not like he's covering o- Ohio State football recruiting and calling it the hurry-up. And uh, there's only so many names that things can be called. I think uh, earlier, Garrick actually pointed out that there's another article that we write on the website every day that another website also uses. So sometimes these things just happen. I don't think Albert is trying to blatantly rip us off. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a finite, there's a finite uh, number of you know, cool things to call an article. Um, so, yeah, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And it, it definitely would not be my responsibility, uh, nor something that I would offer my services to do to, uh, to call Albert out on such a thing anyway. So, yeah. Well, I thought we were going to spend our whole episode the day before the Minnesota game talking about just Ohio State football. But... I feel like we got to finish out the show today by talking about something else because Griffin and I, along with our colleague Garrick Hodge, made the trip up to Canton on Sunday to watch what has now become an infamous game between IMG Academy and Bishop Sycamore. And to give you all the background, first of all, we'll say this. We knew going in that it was not going to be a competitive game. So I know, I know ESPN got duped into thinking it was going to be a more competitive game than it was. We were not under such delusions. Griffin can attest that I said on our drive up I would set the line for the game at 56 points. So we knew going in that this was not going to be a competitive game. And ESPN should have known that because it doesn't take that much research to look at Bishop Sycamore's history and see that this was a team that had just lost to IMG Academy by 50 points last year. But this is a team that has suffered blowout losses in almost every game that it's played. And so we knew it was going to be a lopsided game. We went up there for the sole purpose of IMG Academy's playing in Ohio. That doesn't happen very often. If we could have, I would have preferred to go to their game on Friday against LaSalle High School. But we are going to still be on our way back from Minnesota on Friday night. And so we're unable to go to that game. I, I would have loved to go to that game because even though I still think IMG is going to win big against LaSalle, LaSalle is a legit high school uh, that has legit players, unlike Bishop Sycamore. But regardless, to get back to the point, we knew this was going to be a blowout game. I don't think either of us anticipated that as we're sitting here recording this on Tuesday afternoon, that 
Bishop Sycamore was going to be one of the biggest stories in sports right now. And, you know, I, I could kind of get the vibe, like, when we were on the sidelines just, like, looking at my Twitter and, like, seeing responses to some of my tweets that, like, okay, like, ESPN's, like, really going at Bishop Sycamore right now. Okay, ESPN's admitting that Bishop Sycamore fooled them into thinking they were a better team than they were. You know, people are asking me, how did this game ever happen? Or, you know, I, I can't believe you're even still there. So I could tell that, you know, people who were watching the game were kind of saying, what the heck is going on? But I did not imagine when we went up there to cover that game that this was going to become the biggest story in sports and that the athletic and complex and awful announcing and all these national media outlets were going to be writing about Bishop Sycamore. And honestly, like, going into the game, like, I'm kind of like, like, why are we doing this? Like, we're driving two hours to Canton to go see a game that we know is not going to be competitive. The reason why we were doing it again, was because it was a chance to watch IMG Academy play and a chance to talk to guys like Carnell Tate and Malik Bryant and Stacey Gage who are being recruited by Ohio State right now. But now I'm glad we were there because I feel like we witnessed something that was has now become such a national storyline. Yeah, I mean, there were not many media people there, like to be honest with you. Um, in terms of, you know, guys that were covering the actual players. Yeah, it was us and three other Ohio State recruiting writers, I believe. So we were among the lucky few, uh, the elite, if you if you want to call us, um, that we actually got to experience this, uh, this event, you know, live. There wasn't even a lot of people in the crowd, you know. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think... If it hadn't been for the fact that ESPN actually, you know, had it, had the, put the spotlight on this game, that you know this same event could have happened, and we could have just, you know, left it as like, wow, that was kind of bizarre, like how uh, you know lopsided the, that was, and, and just the kind of the things we saw. But but nothing might have gone uh, came out of it uh, aside from that until further down the line, maybe. But the fact that ESPN put that spotlight on it, the fact that it had that that clip in particular of the commentators talking and, and saying that like they were duped, you know, into covering the game and, and the, the fact that they couldn't verify, you know, any information on the, the roster. And, um, even I think people were posting, um, that like the, the actual rosters that Bishop, Bishop Sycamore gave, you know, the ESPN people and whatnot, like were just, just didn't have very much information or had incorrect information or, you know, wrong numbers or, you know, not the actual people that were listed and things like that. Those were kind of like the initial inklings on social media that something was, you know, very strange. And I would just say, just watching the game up close and personal, like, I actually was, myself, like, almost scared for, like, the safety of, uh, you know, the players on Bishop Sycamore because they were they were straight up dropping like flies. I mean, like, five of them got, like, injured, you know? And, uh, you know, they had to play, like, a, an, an offensive lineman that was just limping around and, like, not really even trying to block anybody. And then he's blocking for, like, a, you know, a tiny quarterback in the backfield that's just getting lit up on every play. And so, like, just that whole element of it was very bizarre. And the fact that IMG Academy wasn't even necessarily putting its best foot forward uh, aside from the first two possessions of the game. I mean, they took, you know, a lot of guys out after that. You know, they still had peppered them in and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of their best guys, you know, were out of the game pretty early on. For example, Carnell Tate, you know, the Ohio State target uh, wide receiver who, you know, scored two uh, highlight reel touchdowns on the very first two possessions of the game. You know, he didn't play after that. And it was still, you know, just... A ridiculously lopsided affair, injuries, just a, a lot of uh, bizarre scenes on the field. Just the the, the size of the the uh, Bishop Sycamore team in general was just kind of uh, 
you know, disconcerting uh, when you looked at what uh, IMG Academy was, was putting on the other uh, sideline there. Yeah, they took Carnell Tate out. I think they still had most of their other guys out there. Most of their other guys were still out there for most of the game. I don't know if Carnell went a minor injury or something or if they just decided you know not to play he, he they had seen enough of him after those first couple of possessions on which he made a pair of spectacular plays for touchdowns and absolutely regardless of who he was playing against it was very easy to tell why carnell tate is one of ohio state's top targets for the recruiting class of 2023 at that wide receiver position but yeah i mean when we got there i just remember looking down as the teams were warming up and I saw Bishop Sycamore out there running around and I went, that's it? Because they only had like 30 players there for the game and I will say, well, I did know going in that Bishop Sycamore was not really a real high school and was not going to be a competitive team. I did not know that Bishop Sycamore had played another game on Friday and that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's to me the most you know blatantly crazy thing about this is that they were playing two games in three days and that's just not something that you do in any level of football really especially not at the high school level so that's like blatantly right there like what the hell are these guys doing and then you just look at across their roster I mean, basically none of their players are actually in high school. So calling themselves a high school is a farce because it's all guys that basically didn't get the offers they wanted out of high school and they've been sold on this school, Bishop Sycamore, can give them a second chance to get to the college level. And I I feel bad for the players because – I'm sure a lot of them have been sold false promises that they believed and now they're stuck in a bad situation. And so I feel really bad for them being in this situation. The fact that, you know, people did sell them on this, the adults that, that sold them on this, it, it, it's, it, it's sad because clearly you see a game like that. Clearly this team had no business playing in IMG Academy and you know you have the people out there defending them saying well they were the only team that had the courage to play them well first of all again they lied to ESPN about who they were and how many guys they had with offers you know as far as I know there there's was nobody in that game who really is a major D1 recruit there may be guys that have gotten offers but there's not you know, no no guys that are at uh, IMG Academy level kind of recruits. I mean, there was one guy in the game who, it's funny because it, I had actually seen him at a camp in June. And I was trying to figure out who he was because he actually got attention from the coaches. Mark Pantone and Gary Combs and Matt Barnes were talking to this cornerback. And I was trying to figure out who he was. And I couldn't figure out who the heck he was. And I finally found out who he was on Sunday because... I saw one of the rosters that was floating around for the team, and I realized it was him. And then Andrew Ivins, who wrote for, for 20, 24-7 Sports, he, he, he tweeted on Monday that although this guy has tweeted out like two dozen Power 5 offers, they're fake offers. He graduated from high school in 2020 and apparently even has a fake huddle tape. 
and apparently has used a fake ID to try to get into events. And so these are the kind of things that are happening at this school where you just don't know what to believe about these guys. And again, I think most of the players here are victims who have been sold on a false promise that's not going to come true. But, you know, this team had no business playing in a game like that. And I think for ESPN to admit that it did not realize what this game was, yeah, I think that's really what's kind of led to this blowing up the way that it has. Because, you know, I don't blame ESPN for, you know, putting IMG Academy on TV. I mean, again, that's why we went to the game. We wanted to see IMG Academy. But to just straight up admit that, we thought this team was better than it is. I think that's really what's kind of led to this all ballooning the way it has here over the past couple of days. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of jokes being made and whatnot. It's 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 kind of a Bishop Sycamore has become the butt of jokes online. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure as anyone listening to this knows, but there is some really dark you know stuff actually going on. When you look at uh, you know some of the interviews that people have done with people that were supposedly members of the, or former members of the team or um, people that have you know seen the you know how the sausage is made so to speak in terms of the 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 supposed plans that the the team was going to have and uh, the facilities they had and there I was reading details about you know players having to sleep on uh, the floor at places or the players themselves are getting into it and like you know getting into like serious physical um, altercations and stuff like that. And there um, is no physical Bishop Sycamore High School. They've the addressed they've listed are not high schools. They're just random addresses. So there is no physical Bishop Sycamore High School. Appearances would be that these guys aren't even going to classes. Now again, most of them have already graduated from high school anyway. But the appearance would be that there's not any actual schooling going on. It's unclear whether there's any actual practicing going on, or if these guys are just showing up at games. Like you said, I mean there was there's been anecdotes about them putting players in hotels but not actually paying for hotels. There's been anecdotes about them not paying for meals for players and, and players having to find their own ways to get fed. So, yeah, this is bad. And, I mean, I think I think we most likely witnessed the final game of Bishop Sycamore football because their next two games have already been canceled. One of them was just canceled minutes ago as we were recording this. And I just can't imagine that any team that's supposed to play Bishop Sycamore is going to go through with it. Nor can I imagine that they are even going to have enough players to play a game because they already, the roster was already low, like we talked about. Like Griffin said, there were like four or five guys who went down with injuries in that game. And so they don't have many players to spare. And I'd have to imagine that more players have left the team here in the last couple of days as all of this stuff has come to light. And so... I'd be surprised if Bishop Sycamore ever played another football game. And hey, if this becomes a documentary, if this ends up on Netflix, as apparently one of the players was apparently promised that they were going to be on Netflix, they might actually end up on Netflix, but not for the reasons they wanted to be. You know, this is example of be careful what you wish for, because obviously Bishop Sycamore wanted to play in this game because they thought... Hey, we're going to play IMG Academy. We're going to be on national TV. This is going to be the spotlight for us. This is going to be, you know, the chance for these guys to get this exposure that we've promised them. But they are not getting the kind of attention that you want to get because that national attention has led to basically the fraud that they were running being exposed to the entire world. 
And we were kind of joking or, or saying, I think I said, you know, as we were driving to the game, I was like, because Dan knew more about this than probably a majority of people did, obviously, like in terms of what Bishop Sycamore was. But obviously, we didn't know the extent. And, I, of- and if I realized it was going to become such a big story, I would have like reported on it before. I mean, not not necessarily saying that I would sitting on some story or anything here just that like i had read about it and i didn't realize that like it was so unknown going into the game to even espn that you know this school was not really a real high school and so if i had known uh this was going to become such a national story i would have uh dug into it more and and written about it more before this week yeah and that's i was just gonna say that i was i was saying like man like you you should just write like an expose about bishop sycamore or something but then come to if find Ohio out, State wasn't starting in two days from now, maybe I would. Right, right, right. And uh, but like you know, at the time we didn't realize that an expose and the the exposés that have since been written about the thing uh, would you know uh, drag up you know all the details and uh, just kind of insane uh, happenings that we've seen uh, kind of transpire here. Did you think before Sunday that we were going to spend our first game week? episode of real pod wednesdays of the season talking about bishop sycamore high school i certainly cannot say that i did uh you know it's still very surreal but you know i will say i was i was glad that i got to see uh got to see it happen and how everything happened it's a it's something i'll be able to uh you know if anyone remembers this you know maybe after the netflix series comes out i'll be able to say you know i was one of the few that that was there i i I saw the i saw them uh you know sail up into the sun and come crashing back yeah, down. We, we witnessed a, a weird moment in history, a a viral moment in history. And and we got to talk to some IMG Academy players. I mean, it's funny. I thought, like, the, the whole reason why we actually went to this game feels like it's been so overshadowed by now. But we did, we, we did get to do what we set out to do, which was talk to some players from IMG Academy. You know, got to see Carnell Tate play. And, you know, after watching him throw up the OH after scoring a touchdown and talking to him after the game. I think there's reasons for Ohio State fans to feel pretty good about the decision that Carnell Tate will be making on October 8. And uh, got to talk to Malik Bryant and Stacey Gage and a few other IMG players as well. And I know Garrick's going to be writing about those in the hurry up all week. So be sure to look out for that. But mostly what we're going to be writing about on 11 Warriors this week is an actual Ohio State football game because Ohio State plays Minnesota on Thursday night at 8 p.m. on Fox. Us two and Garrick will all be there in Minneapolis for a game. That feels good to say because last year during a regular season, it was mostly just me traveling because they'd only let one person per media outlet go. So we'll have our whole crew there. We'll be covering everything from pregame to postgame. Tons of coverage to come on 11warriors.com. So uh, we hope you all check that out and we hope you all... Come back and listen to Real Pod Wednesdays next week because between breaking down everything we see in that first game and then previewing a huge second game against Oregon, we're going to have plenty to talk about.